If you have your Bible or a device with a Bible app on it, I want to invite you to pull it out. Uh, we're going to spend a decent amount of our time in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. If uh, you want to go ahead and be flipping there, I'm going to mention a few other verses before we get there, but I promise you we'll, we'll spend a good portion of our time in Hebrews 10 if you want to be flipping there right now. Over the last several weeks, we've been in our summer message series that has been um, all about identity, learning about and understanding who we are in Christ, the new creation that we become the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And we've talked about a lot of things, but if you were here last week, you know that the identity truth that we learned is that once you put your faith and trust in Christ, at the very core of your being, you are not a person who is a sinner saved by grace. A lot of times you hear a lot of people in the church throw that terminology around. I'm just a, I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace. And they mean that to highlight the fact that there's still sin in their life, that they're not perfect. We're not trying to come across any better than anyone else or anything like that, but that I'm, I'm saved by grace. And that's all you know, good and well-meaning. But the problem with that is if that's our identity, if our identity is that of just being a poor old sinner, then guess what the most natural thing in the world for a poor old sinner to do is? to sin, right? And so that's what a lot of us find ourselves doing when we're just poor old sinners saved by grace. But if we understand that God's word says you're not a sinner saved by grace, but you're a saint who sometimes sins, then that makes all the difference in the world. Because if I understand and know at the very core of my being that I no longer have a sin nature, that I am a new creation in Christ and I'm able to walk in the freedom of no longer being in bondage to that sin and I'm able to experience now victory over sin because I understand it's already part of who I am at the very core of my being. And so now the most natural thing in the world comes to just walk by faith in my sainthood and live out who I really am as a saint in Christ rather than a sinner who sometimes, or a, a sinner who's saved by grace. You know, the problem is, is that even though, like I said last week, we are saints, we do sometimes sin, as we've been saying, that the indwelling sin that's a part of our lives gets moved. It's no longer at the very core of our being where our spirit is united to the Holy Spirit and we become a new creation, but it gets moved out. We've been talking about this in concentric circles and we have a soul and we have a body and we still experience the effects of sin in our minds and the way that we feel and in our body and the way that it gets used and the experiences that we have with our bodies and our our mouths and what we're listening to and all the above and so we still will sin from time to time and what happens with a lot of us is we understand okay well I'm, I'm a saint but then the moment that we sin we begin to automatically feel the guilt we begin to automatically feel the condemnation. We automatically begin to feel the shame that's associated with that. And a lot of us begin to just question that. You know, like, okay, well, I, I thought I was a saint. I listened to the pastor last week. He unpacked God's word. He showed me that I was a saint. But there's no way someone who is a saint would act the way that I've been acting. Right? And so we fail and we fall and we go, I guess I'm really not. I thought I was, but I am probably just a poor old sinner who's saved by grace. And then we fall back into the same things that we've been doing. A lot of us feel like God has got to be so disappointed with me 
whenever I've sinned. A saint, if I'm his saint and I'm his child and I've stepped out of character of who I really am and I've, I've sinned, he's gotta be so disappointed in me and we end up doing one of two things when we feel God's disappointment with us. For some of us, that's cause to hide from him, right? We, we sang the song about running to the Father, but when we sin, for a lot of us, it's the exact opposite. I'm running from the Father, right? Because the further I feel like I can get away from him, his uh, worship music in church, the people around here, and I can go somewhere else, then I won't feel the disappointment. I won't feel the guilt. I won't feel the shame. And so for a lot of us, we've disappeared from church. We've run and we've gone once we've ended up sinning. And the other reason we end up doing that is because, let's be honest, sin does provide temporary and momentary pleasure, right? We get something out of it or we wouldn't step into it and, um, and succumb to the temptation every now and then. And if we're feeling low, if we're feeling guilty, if we're feeling shame, we're feeling God's disappointment, then well, I'm gonna sin again because it provided me a momentary high, right? So now I'm feeling better after I'm able to um, sin and experience that momentary pleasure. But then, of course, we feel bad and the disappointment again, so I gotta go do it again because at least it takes it away for a little while and we just find ourselves in a cycle. And some of us have been in those places where we just are going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the sin. Now, that's how some of us will react, but then there's others of us who are on the opposite end of that, and whenever we sin, our tendency hasn't been to run from the Father, but our tendency has been to go to Him and try to make it up to Him. We, we, we do. I mean, we usually starts by making the most heartfelt, sincere apology that we can, right? God, I'm so sorry for what it is that I did. And we beg, God, would you please forgive me? God, would you please forgive me? God, please forgive me. I know what I did was wrong. I know it was the 17th time that I've done it or the 117th time that I've done it. But please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And if we can feel like we felt really bad about what it is that we did, then in some way that makes us feel a little bit like maybe God's not as disappointed at us because I showed him how sorry I was. So that's where some of us start, but then the others of us, once we do that, a lot of times it's to get to, to work to make up for what it is that I've done. I know this choice was wrong, but reading my Bible is right and good. And so he'll be happy that I read my Bible. He'll be happy that I spent time in prayer. He'll be happy that I shared my faith with someone. And we enter into as much religious activity as we can. We go to church as much as we can. Because we feel like it makes up for, in some ways, the bad choices that we uh, made over here. And God won't be quite as disappointed with us. A lot of times for me, um, I mean, I can look back at my life and experience both sides of those. But if I'm being honest, I have more of a tendency to be the one who's trying to make the heartfelt, sincere apology and do whatever it is that I could to felt like I was making up for it. As many of the, you know, read my Bible more and again, pray more, try to share my faith with someone. And a lot of times for me, it wasn't even just the religious stuff. 
Like for me, if I could enter into uh, whatever sport that I was playing and work out really hard and push it as far as I could go or whatever job it was that I had, I'd do everything that I could do to be the best that I could be at that, then, then I was giving it all for God's glory, right? I, was, I would give my all into everything that I was doing in that way and I just, I felt better because I was performing at something or I was getting better. He would be pleased with the effort that I was putting into those things and be like, okay, God, this time it's gonna be different. I'm on the right path now. I'm reading more. I'm doing this more. I'm getting into it and this time it's gonna be different and it was never different. There was always a, another failure and then I'd have to go back to it again. The heartfelt apology, the things I've gotta do to try to make up for it and over and over and over again. And I think a lot of us go to one of those two reactions because we just, this is the way it happens in the world. When we sin against someone else, they're disappointed in us. We feel their displeasure. So we just assume that God should be disappointed in us for the choices that we have made. In our world, when we mess up or we wrong someone, then there is usually something that we have to do to get back in their good graces. There's got to be justice. You've got to make up for those things. But is this biblical? If just because that's the way we see it work out in the world, is that also true of the way that God feels about us when we enter into sin? That we need to either run from him because he's so disappointed or we need to make the sincere, heartfelt apologies or make up for those kinds of things. And so we're going to look at God's word and see what it has to say about that this morning. I know I told you that we were going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, but I'm going to start in Romans chapter 8 um, and remind you that Paul says in the very first verse of chapter 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You ever heard that before? Somebody's excited about it back over here. We all should be excited about it. That's really encouraging. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a pretty well-known verse. A lot of us who have spent any time in church are familiar with it. You may have even heard it if you don't really go to church very often. And, and so my question is, for those of us who spend a lot of time in church, if this is a well-known verse and we get excited and we get encouraged whenever we read that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then why in the world do we end up acting out in one of the two ways that I just described before if this is such a familiar verse and so encouraging to us why does it feel like whenever we sin that there is condemnation so much condemnation that I need to run from God or so much condemnation that I need to make it up to him we know it this is encouraging to us, but let's be honest. Almost every single one of us react in one of those two ways whenever we sin. And we do it over and over again, even though we know that's true. The reason I think that that happens a lot of times is just because we really, I don't know if we really fully grasp and understand what happened at the cross. And so that's why I wanted to walk through uh, what it says in Hebrews uh, about it. Because the author of Hebrews understood what really happened at the cross he understood or she we don't really know who the author of hebrews is people make a lot of educated guesses about it but none can truly say definitively who wrote the book of hebrews so he or she whoever it was understood the sacrifice that jesus made for sin on our behalf and they wrote extensively about sin and the way it was dealt with in the old testament and the way it was dealt with in the New Testament. 
One verse before we dive into chapter 10, Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. One of the things that the author of Hebrews makes incredibly clear is that in God's economy, only one thing can pay for sin, and that's blood. Notice what he or she did not say there. He did not say, or she did not say, that a heartfelt apology. Didn't say religious activity. Any of those things that we mentioned earlier were things that would make the forgiveness happen. Without the heartfelt apology, there's no forgiveness. Without the religious activity, there's no forgiveness. They just said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, in the Old Testament, God graciously gave a sacrificial system to them after sin had entered the world to Moses. And the blood that was shed, where animals were sacrificed, the blood that was shed would help cover their sins. But the author of Hebrews talks about how these sacrifices were insufficient to deal with sin for good and how they had to keep being made over and over and over again. And so when we get to chapter 10, this is what he's going into says the, the, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices, the author of Hebrews says, are an annual reminder of sins. They just kept coming and coming and coming and they kept reminding them over and over and over of the sin that was in their lives. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being an Israelite and living under the law? I mean, all year long, all year long, because the Day of Atonement only came once a year, right? So, so all year long, God's keeping a record of your sins. You know, I mean, all year long, he's keeping a record of your sins and you're sitting there, you know, feeling guilty for your sins. You're, you're living in fear of God's punishment for the transgressions of the law and all year long, he's just keeping a record of your sins. Finally, the day of atonement comes, the annual day of fasting and praying and con confessing your sin, the day when a perfect bull was, was sacrificed on behalf of the nation. And it was the only time, you may remember, that a single mortal man could enter into the holy of holies of the temple. Remember, there was the, the curtain, and, and it was uh, where the presence of God was. And it was such a holy place that, you know, you fearfully, even the priest that could enter that one time a year, kind of fearfully entered into that area to take the, the, the blood and, and, and sprinkle it and cover the nation's sins and, and your sins for the previous year. There were also on this day two goats that, you know, um, uh, would have been uh, sacrificed as well. One was slain at the altar and the other when the elders laid their hands and placed their, their hands on the head of the goat, symbolizing the transfer of the, the nation's sins onto the animals. And then before thousands of witnesses lining the streets, the scapegoat was driven from the city out into the wilderness, kind of symbolizing the, the removal of your, your sins. And so, so you watch all of this happen on this day. You can finally take a deep breath, right? You can finally experience some 
My sins have been taken away. And maybe you can lay your head on the pillow at, at, at night and, and you can really sleep deeply and, and get a lot of rest that night because of what happened that day. But then the second that you wake up the next morning, guess what's happening all over again? Check, check, check. Check. God's just keeping a record of the violations of your sin. They're starting to add up again and again and again, and you feel the guilt again, and you feel the shame again, and you gotta wait 364 more days before the day of atonement comes again. Listen, God graciously gave this system to Israel for, as a means for man to experience relief from the, the guilt experienced under the law and living under it and not being able to live up to the standard of the law. And I'm sure they experienced some relief from that, but the author of Hebrews says it is an annual reminder of sins. Just always being reminded. They just kept coming and coming and coming and they always had to be dealt with because, listen, the Old Testament sacrifices could cover sins, but they could not take them away. They couldn't do it. So the author of Hebrews gets into in the next verse. We read through chapter 10, verse three. Look at verse four. Author of Hebrews says, it is impossible for the blood of what? Bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Could it cover them? Yes. Could it take them away? No. But guess what happened whenever Jesus showed up on the scene and he was walking by the Jordan River one day and John the Baptist spots him and he, and he points at them and he says, look, the Lamb of God who, what? Takes away the sins of the world. Not the, not the Lamb of God who will cover up your sins temporarily the lamb of God who will take them away what the author of Hebrews gets into over and over and over again and said actually happened in chapter 9 verse 28 he said Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people once for all time all throughout the book of Hebrews Jesus is presented as a total contrast to the Old Testament sacrifices. Here's what was happening, the sacrifices were made, here's Jesus, it was a better sacrifice, it was a more complete sacrifice, it was a once for all sacrifice that would not need to be repeated. Hebrews chapter 10 goes on, pick it up in verse 10, it says, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, referring to Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sitting down is a position of the work being finished. You would have never seen an Old Testament priest sitting down. You wouldn't have, it wouldn't have happened. You'd never seen it because the work was always having to be done. Yet Jesus, who's referred to as the high priest and the author of Hebrews here, is saying that Jesus is sitting in a position of rest, knowing that all sin has been taken away. He can sit down because there's nothing else for him to do. All the work necessary to take away all sin had been accomplished so he can sit down. 
No more work to do. So when we talk about Romans 8, 1, and where Paul says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, why is there no condemnation left for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because there are no sins left for him to condemn. (laughs) You ever thought about that? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because there are no sins left for Jesus to condemn. He's taken care of all of them, past, present, and future. Every sin that had ever been committed, that was ever being committed at the moment he was dying on the cross and would ever be committed in the future, he was dying for them all. The cross obliterated all sin. Your sins have been blotted out. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even remember them. Hebrews chapter 10, stand with it. Skip down to verse 17. What does it say? Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember every time they mess up. (laughs) Know what it says? Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember unless they give me a heartfelt apology. Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember until they can make it up to me. No, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. A lot of us put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. (laughs) And then we become totally preoccupied with the very thing that God says he's already done dealing with. Sin. We put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And the moment we do, we become totally preoccupied with sin. Where's the sin? Where's the sin? Where am I messing up? Where am I messed up? I messed up. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do now? And God says, nothing Jesus has already done it why are you so preoccupied with something I've already dealt with it's done but yet this is the way we live our lives that's the identity truth that I want you to just drill down into the core of your soul is that you're a saint who is 100% completely forgiven completely 100% completely forgiven. And understanding your identity as a saint and someone who is completely forgiven then impacts the way that you live your life even when you step into sin. Listen to the way that Steve McVeigh in his book titled Grace Walk kind of unpacks this idea of knowing his identity as a saint and being completely forgiven when he he sins. He says, listen, in, in no way do I intend to convey the idea that understanding my identity calls me to live sinlessly. However, I have found that when I do sin now, I soon see it as foolish because I know that a sinful attitude or action contradicts my new nature. Before understanding my identity in Christ, I experienced condemnation when I sinned. Yet the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All the condemnation of God against our sin was poured out on Jesus. So now, I don't feel condemned, but I'm simply made aware by the Holy Spirit of the foolishness of what I've done. I'm reminded of my identity in Christ and a sense of a desire to forsake the sin and just get on with living out who I really am, a totally forgiven, redeemed saint. You need to know this morning that that's true of you as well. You're a totally redeemed, forgiven saint. All of your past, present, 
and future sins have been dealt with. Let me spend just a couple of minutes kind of highlighting the way that this um, can kind of play out practically in our lives. The, the first thing that I hope you're starting to see here, um, I would venture to say that if I asked any of you to pray out loud, that at some point in your prayer, I'd say 85 to 90% of you at some point in time would say some kind of general statement of Father, forgive us for our sins or Father, forgive us for where we have failed you. Can we just go on the record as saying here you're already forgiven and you don't have to ask for it? You don't. Now, it's okay to acknowledge it it's okay to admit before him that you understand and you're aware that what you stepped into in that moment wasn't his best for you. That you got billed or sold for a lie. The temptation was that this, whatever you would enter into here, would give you more of an abundant life than you already have in your union with Christ. And you bought the lie. And so there's a good thing, it's a good thing to go, I understand that that wasn't God's best for me and I acknowledge that before you and I call it out for what it is. But then like he says, to go on and say, thank you, not will you forgive me. If I was God, I'd find that a little offensive. <laughs> what do you mean will I forgive you? I sent Jesus to the cross to deal with it all, didn't I? Why are you asking for it? It's been done. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to make it, you don't have to shed tears to make him seem like you're really sorry for it to count. Can you feel sorry for your sin? Absolutely. It's disgusting. It's terrible. It's awful. It's not his best for you. But to go around and always begging and asking for forgiveness is not necessary. I want you to know that if you understand your identity in Christ and you are you are tempted to to run from him you're, you're tempted to run when you sin you felt the guilt and the shame and the condemnation and those kind of things maybe the most practical thing you could do is just to memorize Hebrews 10 17 which again says their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more you, you memorize it. You type it in on your phone. You look at it. Whenever you've sinned and you're feeling, I'm tempted to run. I know this is where I, my, my uh, go-to, my tendency is to move in this direction. You go, wait, 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 wait. Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. God doesn't even remember what I just did. I'm so worried about it and about to go run from him and feeling like there's disappointment. He's like, what? What are you talking about? He doesn't remember it. Not even on his mind. Not thinking about it. It allows you to be able to go, thank you for the complete forgiveness that I have. Acknowledge it again. And then I put my focus back on you and the life I have in you as opposed to what I was trying to find it in in this thing over here. And so guide me in your ways. Empower me to continue to walk in your ways. For those of you who tend to try to make up for your sin, your, your go-to is like, I gotta, I gotta start doing all of this stuff and then I'll feel better about it. Is Maybe the go-to is to remember Hebrews 9.22. Memorize without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All the sacrifices that I feel like I'm about to make to make up for my sin aren't even gonna count because the truth says it's only blood. Christ has already made the one time for all time sacrifice. So maybe you memorize those and then you enter into praying and receiving, just saying, I, I've, I've got an awareness of the for complete forgiveness I have where I can rest in those things and just, just move on, right? And that's not, that's not, a lot of people will hear that and go, you, you take sin too lightly. 
I guess the question I would have, is it really taking sin more lightly to, um, for, for that approach or, or to um, go in such a direction that we feel like even though Jesus went through everything that he went through on the cross to pay for that sin, we still feel like we have to do these other things to make up for more above and beyond what he did. Who's taking it more lightly now? <laughs> the last thing I would say is just a practical thing is I, I know sometimes there are some of us, even in hearing these messages, in our minds, we always go to that one thing. You know that one thing, that one thing that you did in high school, that one thing that you messed up on that was the biggest mistake of your entire life your mind goes there and you stay there and you still feel the guilt you still feel the shame you still feel the condemnation associated with that thing because it was awful it was the worst thing you've ever done the worst choice that you have ever made you need to know today that even that thing whatever it is that just came to mind for you it was obliterated at the cross when I say you are completely forgiven, you are completely forgiven even for that. Take a deep breath and rest and let that soak in and experience the freedom from that that Christ has purchased for you on the cross. You are free. Go live who you are.